you had to hear the message of salvation whereby your soul would be saved. You had an encounter with Jesus based on faith. Somebody say faith. Huh? You didn't see him face to face, but you believed in him according to the truth of his word. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us again here on the Souls to Christ radio outreach. Get ready to do a deep dive into God's holy word from our pastor. Let's join him now as he further elaborates on today's message. Welcome back as we introduce part two in this series entitled Worship. As we open the scriptures today, we're going to see just how Jesus introduces this woman at the well to true worship as he confronts her sinful life and dispels her tradition of false worship and idolatry, which was so much a part of this region of Samaria for hundreds of years. Now let's get into the word. John 4, 3, the scripture reads, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. You may be seated. Let us bow in a brief word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity, having prayed, praised, and worshiped, O oh God, in this place. We are now asking that you open up now our understanding and guide us into your truth. Father, I pray that you will give good interpretation by your spirit, good application according to your wisdom, that your people may be blessed. Use me in this hour for your oracle, for it is in the precious name of Jesus we do pray. Let the saints of God say together, amen. amen. And thank you, God, our Father. Thanking God for another opportunity to stand before you to proclaim what thus saith the Lord. Last week we started a new worship a new series, actually, that, that dealt with worship. That was worship part one, as we uh, went into what it means to truly worship God. And we talked about that thing. I gave you four points last week as it pertains to the four modes of worship, which are prayer, presence, gifts, and service. Uh, these are the four uh, modes of worship that I had, had gleaned for you to take a look at and as we look at these over the next several weeks we're going to see just how important uh, worship in every uh, one of these areas uh, benefits and aids us in our spiritual growth in our faith walk and our commitment to God and our dedication to do those things which are pleasing in his sight uh, having been saved by his grace and having accepted the invitation uh, uh, to receive the free gift for the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ we are now called to worship in fact I dare say the first uh, time you entered into worship was at the point of your salvation when you by faith accepted the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ you had to ask God to come in and save you you had to ask God to forgive you you had to ask God uh, uh, to cleanse you that was all done through the vehicle of prayer, the prayer of salvation, that confession 
uh, of your mouth based on your heart's need uh, to repent and to receive that which only God could give, which is eternal life. And there is eternal life and there is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved. But the scriptures tell us that the name, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Well, we had to bow. We understand that worship is the act of bowing or, or prostrating oneself or, or taking a lower stance uh, in the manner of homage or paying homage to a deity or reverence or adoration. Well, well we had to bow in order to be saved. Hallelujah, somebody. Amen. And so as we learned that last week, uh, we worship through prayer. We worship through our presence, through our gifts, and through our service. And so here we are in the second installment of this message because this is where we started last week. Last week we started in 424, uh, which talked about uh, worship, true worship. It says, for God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. We also covered that on Family Night in depth, whereas we went into what it meant to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm not going to reteach all of that because we have to move forward, but uh, please avail yourself to uh, being present here or at least uh, tuning into the live stream on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. so that you're not missing anything. When pastor preaches a series, you need to avail yourself of every part of the series or you're going to be missing something, okay? I know that there are those of you out there, and then let me just draw this analogy and we'll move on. <laughs> Uh, because my kids do it. When there's a series on TV that, that you like and you're getting into and, and you may be coming in on the fourth or fifth installment, see, they go back and they watch every part of the series so that they don't miss anything so that they can follow it. Well, I don't want you to miss anything concerning a word. So I want you to get every part of the series so you can be caught up on the message and what's going on. Let the church say amen. Huh? If you can watch a whole season of Empire, you certainly can go back and watch Pastor Amen in the first installment of this message. Amen. Tell your neighbor, he said it. He said it. Uh, uh-huh. You heard me say last week, in order for there to be true worship, there first must be an encounter with the Lord. Hallelujah, somebody. In order for you to be saved, you had to have had an encounter with the risen Savior. You have to have heard the word, his truth, the gospel preached to you. You had to hear the message of salvation whereby your soul would be saved. You had an encounter with Jesus based on faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Huh? You didn't see him face to face, but you believed in him according to the truth of his word. And he told Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you see, because you were able to put your uh, finger in my uh, hand and, and touch the nail prints, and you were able to put your hand in my side where the spear went. And he says, but Thomas, blessed are they that will believe without seed. Thomas had the physical encounter of Christ, but you had the spiritual encounter with Christ, huh? And that's how we're saved. You can't be saved. You can't worship God unless you've had a uh, encounter with the risen Savior by way of word, which is faith. In fact, that's the only way we're all going to experience that encounter with Jesus Christ by way of this truth, this living word. This is the living word that we are called to minister to. This is the word that we're called to carry forth to all nations. This is the living word that we're called to teach all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Ghost. This is how we make more disciples. This is how we increase the kingdom of God. This is how we conduct ministry in the name of Christ, having received the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that right? 
And so here we are, where the, uh, the Lord is talking to this woman. He knew he had to uh, go back to Galilee, but he knew he had to go through Samaria. And so he, here he is, uh, and he says, we must needs go through Samaria, verse 4, I'm in John 4, 4. Uh, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And jump down now to uh, uh, verse number 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Verse 8. Thus his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Let's keep it moving. Verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a, Samarit which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. Now, here Jesus, now, now, I, I know that God, God sees everything before it could happen. And, and God knows uh, everything that is in your mind and everything that is in your heart. And this encounter wasn't just by happenstance. You need to know that. Everything that God does, God does for a reason. There was a reason why God went through Samaria. Uh, if nothing else, but to encounter this woman whom he would use as his minister to the rest of those who were in that city. And, and Jesus' encounter, first encounter, was to ask her to give him something to drink. Now, she stated a fact that, of course, that had been known, of course, and had been that way for a long time. Because you need to understand why what this woman said was the way that it was. Why did not the Jews have any dealings with the Samaritans? Why did Jesus, knowing this, ask this woman for something to drink, she knowing that he was a Jew? Well, did you ever wonder about, about that? Why it is that, that the Samaritans were, according to the Jews, cut off? Well, let's read on just a little while further. Verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him and he would have given thee living water. You know, God purposed for the salvation of all humanity. Did you not know that? Truth be told, in Christ there is no Jew, there is no Greek. We're all the body of Christ. Now, in order for you to understand what's going on here, we're going to have to go back and, and get a little bit of history about Samaria, because there was a reason why the Jews did not have any dealings with Samaria. And, and this goes all the way back to King Solomon. And King Solomon, uh, as the Bible teaches us, had many wives and many concubines. And many of these women led his heart away from the Lord. So based on that, he angered God and uh, to the point where God had spoken that he was going to take Ten tribe from Solomon. Go with me back to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 14, 21. It says, And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and 1 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naoma and Amoritus. Now, here we have Solomon's son. Understand the story uh, uh, behind this. Why? Because Solomon's son Rehoboam was to reign in Solomon's stead. But God did not take the ten tribes from Solomon in his time. But God said, I'm going to do this 
in your son's time. Fast forward, Solomon, when he, after he had died, the people came to Rehoboam and said, look, we need you to make our task a little bit easier. Your father, he, he, he really, he, he put the pressure on us. He, he had the firm grasp on us. He really was choking us out. But we're going to follow you, but you need to lighten our load. You need to lighten the taxes. You need to lighten our burden. And we will follow you if you will do that. Well, what happened? Rehoboam went to uh, the elders of the uh, a nation and he spoke to them and he said, this is what the people say. What should I do? And the elders told him, they said, do what the people ask you and you will have them by your side uh, forever. He says, but, but they said, if you don't, the consequences will be grave. What happened? He turned around after speaking to the elders and he went to his little friends, the ones that he grew up with. Are y'all hearing me? And he sought counsel for them and, and told them what the people said and, and they responded to him, not what the elders said. But they said, well, let, let, we're going to tell you what you ought to tell them. Tell, tell them that you're going to, uh, you think my father was bad. You wait till I get a hold of you. Long story short, they rebelled. And notice that they didn't do this out of themselves, but they did this in accordance to God's word. Because God had already said uh, through the prophet Ahijah that he was going to take Ten tribes from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Are y'all with me? Again, this is a long story. I, I, I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Praise God. So you can go back and you can read uh, 1 Kings, going back even to uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 11 and kind of read through and you'll see and be able to put all the pieces together as to how this thing flowed. Ten tribes left Israel. And God put Jeroboam, made Jeroboam to reign over those ten tribes. In fact, it, it said in God's word that after that, it was only one tribe that followed after Rehoboam, and that was the tribe of Judah. And so we have the rest of them coming of the, under Jeroboam, but Jeroboam was not one of those kings like David. He was not one of those who followed David. Jeroboam uh, caused Israel to sin. And sin in a great way. In fact, let's go to 1 Kings 13, 33. It says, After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil, but made a gain of the lowest of people, priest of the high places, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. Now, Jeroboam, he was the one that made altars unto Baal. He made uh, worship become, uh, or I should say, worship that should have been to God, to all of these other foreign gods. Now, understand, Samaria at that time uh, was the seat of power uh, for the ten tribes. And that's where Jeroboam reigned. In fact, if you, you go forward and look at this thing, not only did Jeroboam anger the Lord, but every king after him, that followed in his footsteps, basically did the same thing, okay? And so, fast forward again. Here we now have Jeroboam in Samaria, causing the people of sin and bringing and angering the Lord. Now, here's the thing. All the kings that reigned after David were compared to David because David was considered a man after God's own heart, okay? And every king that did well was compared to David. And every king that did bad was compared to Jeroboam, who angered the Lord because of the apostasy and the false worship that he brought to the nation. Are y'all hearing me, saints of God? Hmm. Okay. And so here we are. Fast forward. Uh, let's, let's move forward. Samaria is the place where we had 
one of the worst kings to come about. And that was King Ahab. Let's go to 1 Kings 16. 1 Kings 16, 29. And it says here, In the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were what? Before him. And so we see the, 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 the kings of Samaria getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. It says that Ahab was one of the worst. He did worse than all those that were before him. Verse 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of who? Jeroboam, remember? The son of Nebat. That he took a wife, Jezebel. Y'all know that one, huh? The daughter of Ethabaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served who? Baal, and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar to Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And so he, it says he raised up an altar in the house of Baal, uh, which he built in where? Samaria. And so Ahab made a grove, verse 33, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were what? Before him. And so whereas before Judah followed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, which followed David, and the seat of worship was known as Jerusalem. But of course, now you've got this separation of Israel between the tribes where the major portion of them were not serving God, but were serving these foreign gods. Now, you know that Jerusalem was a place of, of, of the Temple of Solomon. It was a place where D David wanted to build the temple, but God did not allow him. But David accumulated all the stuff in the building of the temple so that Solomon, the one whom God had designated to build it, did indeed build it in the place of worship True worship, according to Israel, was Jerusalem, not Samaria. But they were worshiping in Samaria. You know, Samaria is the place where not only Ahab was, but it was also that place where you had that great confrontation between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Where, where they will halt, as Elijah said, between these two witnesses. How long are you going to try and serve God and try and serve Baal? How, how long are you going to try and serve the God of, uh, of heaven that brought you out of uh, Egypt and out of 400 years of bondage, but turn around and offer your sons and your daughters to Baal? Amen? To Molech. They would burn their children in, in human sacrifice. And you remember that great conquest on Mount Carmel where they all gathered together. And, and Elijah says, you bring all your prophets. Praise God. We're going to raise an altar. We're going to put the sacrifice on. And whichever God answers with fire is the God we're going to serve. Well, you know that as the story went on, the, the prophets, they got together and they built their altar. And they put the sacrifice on it. And they started praying to their God. And from early morning until midday, they prayed and they prayed and they cut themselves and their God never answered. Elijah even began to make fun of them, saying, well, maybe he's asleep. Or maybe you should cry a little bit louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Well, long story short, Elijah got took it when it was his turn. He had them to build the altar. And he had them to put the wood on the altar. He had them dig a trench around the altar, and he filled the trench with water. And then he turned around, and he also poured water on the wood that was to be lit for the sacrifice. And Elijah prayed to his God. And God answered with fire. 
And that fire came down, praise God. It says and it, it, it consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, and it even lapped up the water that was in the trench. Hello, somebody. Amen. Who wouldn't serve a God like that? Hmm? Well, here we have Samaria, uh, this place where uh, uh, you had idolatrous worship going on constantly. And that was the thing that re they really did not depart from. Are y'all hearing me, saints of God? They, they continued to worship Baal there. This is why the woman said, well, y'all don't have no dealings with us. We know the Jews don't have any dealings with us. It, it remained that way. Look at, and, and back to verse 10, John uh, 4, 10. He says, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me the drink, thou wouldest ask of him and he would have given thee living waters. Here we have the lady's encounter with Christ. And he's speaking to her concerning who he is. He says, woman, if you only knew who you were talking to. But she could not understand. Verse number 11, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She missed the whole first word of living, praise God. See, she's still talking out of her flesh. She's still talking out of the physical. In fact, she hasn't even grasped what he had said. She thought that he was going to draw water out of the well for her. She said, well, wait a minute. How are you going to get me some water when you don't even have nothing to draw with? Lady, you missed the whole point of what he was saying. He's not talking about the water that's in the well. He's talking about living water. Well, she didn't know nothing about no living water. What, what, living water? What? She, I'm, I'm sure that, that's why it just went over her head. Why? Because he's talking spirit and he's talking life. The living water that he was talking about was the word. Amen. The truth that he uses to save us. Amen. Huh? He says, hey, if you eat of this bread, speaking of himself, you will never hunger again. He says, if you drink of this water, uh, you will never thirst again. The living water, the water that brings forth life, eternal life. Amen. An everlasting life. He says, if you knew who you were talking about, you would ask me to give you water, the living water that, that, that leads us into eternal glory uh, because of who he is. Well, let's, let's keep it moving. She didn't understand what he was saying. She says, well, you don't even have nothing to draw with. How are you going to give me living water? Lady, is that water living? Praise God. Huh? Is that just the regular old well water that you're used to getting time and time again? Verse number 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Here she's speaking to him. Now she's going to begin to drop names now. As if she knew, praise God, Jacob. Because Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Hello, somebody. But she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his what? Cattle. Say, are you greater than Jacob, our father? Yes, he is. Jacob can't save you. And your uh, heritage can't save you. The fact that you may be connected uh, to one of the 12 tribes ain't going to save you. Saints of God, because your mama and your grandmama went to church and they knew the Lord and they may have taken you when you were young, that ain't going to save you. The fact that your mama was a praying woman and your daddy was a pastor ain't going to save you. It's the living water that they tried to give to you in an effort that you might know the God that they serve and become a part of the a kingdom of God as they were, if indeed they were saved. You need the living water, the same water that Jesus is offering this woman. You need to know the same Lord, the same Jesus that's speaking truth to this woman who's given her her encounter that she might be saved, that she might believe, that she might 
not just see with her natural eye that she might begin to understand what this thing of life is really all about. I told you, you can't be saved unless you have an encounter with the risen Savior. I'm not talking about an encounter or a, a, a so-called worship service uh, that comes from a high praise and you get all caught up in the emotion of a high praise, but yet you have not encountered Jesus in the pardoning of your sin. A lot of folk go to churches today looking for the high praise. I can't count the number of times I and maybe even you have been asked, oh, you invite somebody to church. Oh, do y'all have a good choir? Are you saved? That'd be my next question. Are you saved? Because if they say no, well, the choir don't matter. Whether the choir is good or whether, if you ain't saved, it don't matter. Amen, somebody. Going to the church for all the wrong reasons. What matters is that you know Jesus in the pardoning of your sins. Not whether the choir can hit every note. Not whether the organist or the keyboard player is slamming. Not whether or not church is full of people. Mm. We go for all the wrong reasons. But hopefully in your wrong reason, if there's a preacher that is serious about preaching this gospel, you'll understand what the right reason is all about. Amen. Hello, somebody. Uh, you, how you going to get me some water? You don't even have nothing to draw with. How you going to give me this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our father? Do you know who I am? I'm a daughter of Jacob. Are you kidding me? Verse 13, Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. What I love about Christ, and let us take a lesson from the saints of God, is he never entertained the foolishness of her conversation. But he stayed on task at trying to get the message of salvation through. Are y'all hearing me? See, he didn't respond to the, the foolishness of the question of how you going to give me living water? You don't have nothing to draw. He didn't respond to the contentious statement that she wanted to make based on the fact that well belonged to Jacob. And this well they have been dipping from for years. He stayed on point with the message about the living water. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall what? Shall thirst. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give unto him shall never thirst. Do you see that? He says, everybody that drinks of Jacob's well going to be thirsty again, I can guarantee you. In fact, that's the reason why you're here today, isn't it? To get some more water. Hello, somebody. Everybody that drinks from the well of Buddha is going to thirst again. Everybody that drinks from the well of Muhammad is going to thirst again. Everybody that drinks from uh, whatever other religious entity that you might serve, if it ain't true Christianity based on Jesus being God in the flesh, dying for your sins and ours, coming and gaining, getting up on the third day with all power in his hand, you're going to thirst again. Now, we know that Jacob was one of the patriarchs. Yes, he was. When God uh, makes reference to who he is to the nation, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of what? Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of what? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob was one of the patriarchs. But I can tell you one thing. Jacob can't save you. Jesus is the only one that can save. Are y'all with me? Again, verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. You got to get the living water that comes from Jesus Christ. And no other uh, place can you get it. Hmm? But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. Do you see that? See, when the, the water that Jesus gives you, you won't thirst again. Why? Because he only has to give it once. 
It, it speaks to the eternalness of salvation. You only need to get saved once. You don't have to keep getting resaved and resaved and resaved. Amen. If you do it right the first time, it's eternal. It's the living water. Amen. You don't have to thirst again. You won't hunger again if you get it from the right source, which is Christ. Thank you for tuning in to the Souls to Christ radio broadcast. Be sure to join us next week at 1230 for more insightful and compelling truth from our pastor. Or feel free to stop by Christ Temple Christian Fellowship for a live experience with our risen Savior. We're located at 2205 Maryland Avenue in Baltimore, Maryland, 21218. Thank you. God bless. It's time. The world says one thing, and if the world co-signs on it, that don't mean it's right with God. God's word does not change according to fashions, trends, times, and what's in vogue. God don't care about what's trending. God cares about the truth and the power of his word. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us again here on the Souls to Christ radio outreach. Get ready to do a deep dive into God's holy word from our pastor. Let's join him now as he further elaborates on today's message. Hello, friends. What we must realize is if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, then God is going to confront us concerning everything that is not pleasing in His sight, just like He did this woman from Samaria. And so as we get into the second half of part two in this series entitled Worship, we're going to see just what it takes to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You don't have to keep getting resaved and resaved and resaved, amen. If you do it right the first time, it's eternal. It's the living water, amen. You don't have to thirst again. You won't hunger again if you get it from the right source, which is Christ. Are y'all hearing me? That is the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what this thing is all about. Hmm? Here's a woman again, verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's still caught up in a carnal mindset. She still don't understand what he is saying. As long as you're in these natural bodies, this physical man is going to get thirsty. It's going to need something to drink. It's going to need to replenish itself because we are made, our bodies are mostly water anyway. So we're going to need the water that comes from the earth to keep this earthly body going. And see, she's still caught up in that which is carnal, not understanding, still not understanding what he's saying. She's saying, okay, give me this water so I don't have to come to this well and draw no more. Well, when you get the water that he's talking about, you're still going to need the water that replenishes you physically. Huh? But the hunger and the thirst of every man's soul, and, and that's what he's trying to address here. The hunger and thirst that is in every man's soul can only be quenched. It can only be satisfied through an encounter with the risen Savior based on faith in his word. No other way. There's no other process. There's no other way it's going to happen. Come on, somebody. And you've got to know Jesus, and you've got to know him as your own personal Lord and Savior. You, you can't go to any other place and by any other means hope to receive that which only comes from God, second person of the Trinity, named Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. Amen? Amen? Some people use that as his first and last name. His last name ain't Christ. He's Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Savior. Amen? Amen. I thought his name was last, his last name, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. Christ means Savior. Amen. 
He is Jesus the Savior. Hallelujah, somebody. Amen. You don't have to admit you didn't know that, but that's okay. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> he says here, hey, you won't thirst again. You won't have to worry about it. She said, give me this water. Now, look what Jesus said here. This is where it became mind-blowing. It says, Jesus said unto her, go, call thy husband and come thither. Why? Because Jesus knows what's going on here. See, in order for there to be salvation, there needs to be, number one, first an acknowledgement of the truth. Are y'all hearing me? See, but before he could just say, hey, say okay, here, I'm going to give it to you. No, no, he says, go call your husband. Look at her response. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In this you, you said it's thou truly. Do you see that? See, before I can give you the living water, I got to address your sinfulness. Come on, somebody. See, see why? Because there could be no salvation unless there's first repentance. You living with a man that ain't even your husband. And you have to know that God knows your mess. God knows your story. God knows where you've been. God knows what you're about. And so you can't fake the funk with God and you should not try and hide from God. Because he knows you. God is omnipotent and omniscient. He's all powerful. He knows everything. He is omnipresent. Which means he's everywhere at the same time. And so his eyes are uh, in every place beholding the good and the evil that men do. And so God knew this woman. Huh? Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah, somebody. Huh? He didn't just read her mind. He knew her before he encountered her. Tell you, neighbor, he knew me. Huh? You ought to rejoice at that one. He knows you. He knows you. He knows the very uh, thoughts of your heart. He, he knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your intents before you do it. And so before the living water, the, the whole understanding of what the living water is all about, first we got to take care of something. What we got to take care of, your sin? Hello, somebody. He said, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you said that right. You don't have a husband. You done had five husbands, and the guy that you with ain't your husband. Let's, let's keep it moving. Look what she says here. Verse number 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You think? Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought worship. Do you see that? Now we're getting back to the whole, that, that whole division that happened many, many years ago where there was a conflict concerning where true worship took place. Jerusalem is where the temple was built. It's the place where God put his name that worship would go forth. Amen? God had been saying that to the nation and to Moses long ago, that this is how worship was going to be conducted. You go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, through the book of Exodus, where God began to institute worship and how it should be set up. We're going to go through that on Tuesday night. And he said, the place that I put my name upon, that's going to be the place of worship. That's going to be the place of true worship. That's going to be the place of sacrifice. Hallelujah, somebody. Well, Solomon had the benefit of building that first temple for the Lord. Amen? And God put his name on that temple, and God blessed that temple as the place of worship. Amen, somebody. That temple was in Jerusalem. Amen. 
And so here the woman is saying, well, wait a minute. I perceive you to be a prophet, but our fathers worship in this mountain. But you say Jerusalem is the place where men ought worship. Jesus responded. Verse 21, Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Jesus says, you need to be mindful of something. There's coming a time where worship is going to cease. Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Jesus says, you need to be mindful of something. There's coming a time where worship is going to cease. Why? Because your worship is full of idolatry. Your service is full of apostasy. You're worshiping based on your fathers who weren't worshipers at all. Are y'all hearing me? Go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings 17. And let's look what happened. He told the woman, you don't know what you're even worshiping. Let's look at verse, let's start at verse number, verse number 28. He says here, Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Now, once again, let me give you a little bit of history and background what's going on here. Because of Samaria's rebellion and apostasy and worship of idols and false gods, uh, God sent the nation of Assyria in. And the king of Assyria came in and he took the country. He took the, those who uh, uh, were in Samaria hostage. And then what happened? He then turned around and he sent one of the priests back to the nation and says, And then the priests whom they had carried away into Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and, to, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. Do you see that? And the men of Babylon made Sakath Benoth, the men of Kuth made Nergo, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz, and the Tartak and the Sepharavites burnt their children in the fire to Adrimelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sapphira. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. Do you see that? How in the world can you say you fear the Lord and you're serving these idols at the same time? Are y'all hearing me, saints of God? They're suffering from the same thing that they suffered from even back when Ahab uh, was king over Samaria and was causing them to worship Baal. They had the same problem. They didn't know who they were worshiping. Each one of them had their own gods that they had set up in the country of Samaria and they were calling themselves worshiping God but worshiping uh, these other little gods as well. You can't serve two gods. No man can serve what? Two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or you're going to love the one. And Jesus said you can't serve God in money. Right? 
You can't serve God and money, but you need to understand this. See, even though money may be your God, modern-day idolatry covers more than just money. See, modern-day idolatry can cover anything or anyone that you put before God. Modern-day idolatry, in modern-day idolatry, your idol could be your wife or your husband. You say, well, how can a man worship his wife? Or how, why would a wife worship a husband? When you put in your husband and the things that he say and the things that he do, uh, which may be contrary to the Lord, and you're following him as opposed to following God, your husband has now become your God. Nobody should come before God. God says, you got to love me more than, than husband, wife, sister, brother. You got to love me more than any of your siblings. You got to love me more than anybody else in your family or anything in your possession. You got to love me first and keep me first because if you don't love me more, you are not worthy of me. Hello, somebody. You got to love me more. You can't put anything before God. And so you might say that you're serving God. Why? Because we get that today. We get folk that come to church, but then you go out of church and you're serving everything but God. Huh? You halt between two opinions. You can't live like the world because the Bible says be in the world but not of the world. The Bible also tells you to uh, love not the world, neither the things that are what? In the world. You can't say that I'm serving God, but you go out of the church and you out there and you serve in sin. You're serving the world. You're doing like the world, acting like the world, being like the world. Huh? Yes. Following after the world. God says it's an abomination and you says it's man's right. God says it's murder and you says it's a woman's right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Huh? The world says one thing and if the world co-signs on it, that don't mean it's right with God. God's word does not change according to fashions, trends, times, and what's in vogue. God don't care about what's trending. God cares about the truth and the power of his word. Huh? So it doesn't matter what's trending. Are you saved, number one? Or are you living by faith? Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. If it doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, it ain't by faith. And if it ain't by faith, then you aren't worshiping God. I don't know who you're worshiping, but it ain't God. Somebody lying. And it ain't God. Are y'all hearing me? He says that they were serving God, but they were serving all these other gods as well. Right. Truth is, make up your mind. Right. Who's on the Lord's side? Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Huh? If we ever needed a witness now in these day and times, we've got to let our light shine. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If the world needs light, it never needed light like it needs it now. And I'm not talking about daylight. I'm not talking about sunlight. I'm not talking about incandescent or fluorescent light. I'm talking about the light of Jesus Christ shining in your heart, whereby men might see that there is reality to serving God, that there is some truth, and that truth is the word of God, that it does change lives. It does change circumstances. It is powerful. It is living. God ain't a dead God. We serve a risen Savior. Amen. The world needs to see the reality of Jesus Christ in you. Not some sometime I would if I wouldn't want it to. I do what I want to do. Hello, somebody. This woman began to try and tell him who she was, who her ancestors are. Still wasn't getting the point. 
Even when he told her, go get your husband, he's trying to address the sin now. I don't have a husband. Well, he says, I know you don't. You've had five, and the one you're with, it's not your husband. You say that to some saints today. That's shacking up, cohabitating, knowing that ain't God's will. But they do it anyhow. The same saints that, that don't pray and don't show up. The same saints that don't give, amen, and aren't loving, amen. The same saints that, you know what, will go on, will quickly tell you about their uh, connection with God with no proof. Amen. I say, you say, prove it. You love the Lord, prove it. Amen, somebody. See, because the life you live in, you couldn't even go into a court of law. Huh? With a jury full of your peers. And convince nobody that you are certainly a woman of God, a, a, a child of God, a son of God by the way you live. In. That's why I don't go to your church. I got news for you, darling. It ain't my church. Hallelujah, somebody. Huh? Ain't my pulpit, ain't my ministry. It's God's house. My house shall be called the house of prayer for all people. It's a place where we come to worship, where we come to pray. We come to praise. We come to serve. We come to let our light shine. We come to render our gifts. We come to give our gifts. Amen. You ain't hurting me or anybody else in here for leaving God's house. And all y'all that running around talking about church hurt ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because if you knew what the true church was, because the true church ain't bricks and mortar or those who are on the membership roster, the true church is made up of born-again, baptized believers. And that's the church Jesus is coming back for, a church without spot or without wrinkle. God don't have a problem with his church, and the problem ain't the church. Amen? Amen. So when you want to talk about church hurt, please get it right. The church ain't hurt you, not the church that I'm talking about. Huh? See, because you got a lot of things out there that's called church. Church, by definition, is just an assembly of people. So simply because it's called the church don't mean it is indeed the church of Jesus Christ. You may have been hurt by a church. But when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church of God. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And the church of God, praise God, ain't full of that kind of foolishness that you're talking about. Why? Because the church of God is that thing that he's coming back for. And when the rapture takes place, he's coming to take the church with them. You got church hurt? Let's talk about what real church hurt is all about. Church hurt is all about those who claim to be a part of the connected church. Amen. The invisible church. The church is made up of born again baptized believers, but out there living like hell. That's church hurt. You're hurt in the church by how you live. How you profess Jesus Christ as Lord. You say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things as he say. You draw near him with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. That's how the church is hurt. The church is hurt by your hypocrisy, by you're not showing up, by you're not loving one another. By you're not serving one another. By you're not giving to the church. That's how the church is hurt. You want to talk about church hurt? It's when you're running around calling on the name in trouble. But when he gets you out of trouble, you're nowhere to be found. You want to talk about church hurt? Well, let's talk about the fact that somebody else got to do your job when you ought to be in the church rendering your gifts. Somebody got to sing your part in the choir. Somebody got to take your place on the usher board. Somebody got to serve in the kitchen when you out there and you eat all the time. You're cooking all the time, but you won't do it for the Lord. 
Lord. Let's talk about church hurt. Amen, somebody. You want to talk about church hurt? You're hurting the church. Don't talk about somebody hurt you in the church. Let's talk about true church hurt. It's the fact that you aren't worshiping the way you ought to worship, giving the way you ought to give, and loving the way you ought to love, and showing up when you ought to show up. That's church hurt. Can I talk about it? Out there, as if the church don't get enough of the world talking about it, you want to add to that by blaming and blaspheming the church, blaspheming the name of God, and talking about your brothers and sisters, if indeed you are saved, when you ought to be coming in the house, loving, if you got an issue with somebody, if you would have did it the way God told the church to do it, you would no longer have an issue with that person. Hallelujah, somebody. You want to talk about church? Let's talk about it. I can't. I got to finish this message. Hallelujah, somebody. Hmm. She began to tell him. I don't worry. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Tell him. Ye worship. Ye know not what. Jesus responded to this woman who went to tell him. Well, you know, y'all say Jerusalem is the place of worship. We, we worship in this mountain. Jesus said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. You don't even know who you're worshiping. Ye worship, verse 22, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is. When the true worshiper, somebody say true worshiper. See, the hour is already here. Where the true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? Spirit and in what? Truth. I'm talking about true worshipers. He says the hour is coming and what? Now is. Now is. Uh, right then and now. He says the kingdom of God is now at hand. What? He means it's here right now. Uh, the kingdom agenda is going forward right now. Kingdom business is going on right now. The saving of the souls is going on right now. The ministry of reconciliation is going on right now. Where are you and your contribution? Are y'all hearing me, saints? For a God that's been so good. And, and yeah, I'm a man, see, I done got off on a hallelujah. I'm not trying to get on no high horse here, saints of God. But God been too good to me. For me not to serve him, me not to love him, me not to show up, me not to render my gifts, me not to give what he has already given to me. I only give to him what he's given to me. Amen. Amen. The job that I have, he gave me. The wife that I have, he gave me. You heard me say it the other week. My wife is on loan from God uh, to me. Hallelujah. Everything that I have is on loan. This body uh, that I'm occupying, that my soul occupies is on loan from God. Hallelujah. Why would I not serve him? He's been too good to me. When the doctors told me I needed surgery, ain't nothing left for us to do. Hey, it's either pain management or surgery. That's all you got. That's all your options. I got two herniated discs, two protruding discs, praise God. And my back was all jacked up. My doctor told me, don't even go back to work. My lawyers told me, don't worry about it. Don't go back to work. Let's just get the money we can get. You know what, Lord, I just need you right now. Well, after a matter of time and by and by, God heard my prayers because the worse it got, the more I prayed. Amen, somebody. Until one day God heard my prayer. I don't know whether the disc moved back into place. I don't know whether the disc is still herniated. I just know the pain is gone in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, somebody. God healed me. 
Who wouldn't serve a God like that? I love the Lord and I'm going to do whatever he has called me to do until I can't do it no more. Hallelujah, somebody. I was coming when now is when the true worshipers. See, I want to be a true worshiper. You running around. You know what? I've told you before and I'll tell you again. An inferior mind is always going to seek inferior company. If you ain't trying to do right, you're going to seek those and want to be with those who also ain't doing right. Going to make you feel good in your wrongness. You, you want to uh, be with somebody that's going to talk the same foolish things that you talk. Because I can't name the name of Jesus Christ on one end and drag his name through the mud on the other end. God's looking for true worshipers. Not to show up every now and again, folk. Amen, somebody. I told you, you, when you look at these four modes of worship, prayer, presence, gifts, and service, a lot of folk ain't worshiped in a long time because they don't pray, hallelujah. They don't show up. They certainly aren't giving, and they aren't serving. Let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God comes in, Jesus says, when my Spirit comes in, it will testify of me. When the Spirit of God comes in, see, now we're getting into the nuts and bolts of this whole encounter. See, because God was introducing this woman to true worship. Hello, somebody. And you can see him as he was dealing with her. He was going through those different parameters of true worship. He says that God is seeking true worshipers. True worshipers. Why? Because that's what the Lord is looking for. Verse 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you believe that? Let's give God praise. Amen. And amen. We thank you for joining us again, my friends, as we bring to a close this second message in the series entitled Worship. And we just want to take a moment right now to acknowledge where we are as we face now a global pandemic. This COVID-19, the coronavirus, has claimed so many lives all around this world. It is certain that we are living in perilous times, according to the scriptures. And once again, the world finds itself facing a pandemic of epic proportion. This latest crisis has struck fear in the hearts of many and has once again brought to bear the issue of mortality. If not for ourselves, then for loved ones who may succumb to this potentially fatal virus. So in consideration of these most recent circumstances, I thought it apropos to just take a few minutes to address these conditions and encourage your heart with just a few scriptures. But before then, what I want to do is just say a brief prayer for the families that have lost loved ones to this very, very fatal virus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to thank you because you said in all things give thanks for this is your will concerning us. We know that there are people that are hurting, people that have lost loved ones, people that are bereaved all around this world. And we're asking right now that you will comfort their hearts and speak peace to their souls in the precious name of Jesus. We're praying that you will help us as we who are survived to be able to go on and live our lives in such a way, oh Lord, that it would memorialize them in a good manner and that we can remember the good times that we shared with them in the years that you had given them to us. Father, I thank you and we pray 
and ask all of these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I just want to encourage your heart because I understand what it means to be suffering and mourning someone who has left us in a very, very untimely manner. The scripture that I want to read to you first comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse number 3. And it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And so what I want you to do, even in these times of great tragedy and, and loss, is to look to the Lord. Another writer said, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. God is able to comfort your heart and he's able to speak peace even in these trying circumstances. Another scripture I want to read for you comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the scripture reads, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. May you be blessed, my friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Souls to Christ radio broadcast. Be sure to join us next week at 1230 for more insightful and compelling truth from our pastor. Or feel free to stop by Christ Temple Christian Fellowship for a live experience with our risen Savior. We're located at 2205 Maryland Avenue in Baltimore, Maryland, 21218. Thank you. God bless.